Welcome back to season two of the Imposter Syndrome Files. My name is Kim Menninger, and I am so grateful that you're joining us. When I started this podcast last year, my primary goal was to normalize the experience of imposter syndrome, to make it easier for us to talk about, and to access the support that we deserve. I am so grateful to everyone who has shared their stories with me, and I'm fascinated by the linkages between imposter syndrome and so many other facets of our lives. The conversations that we had last season led us in so many powerful directions. I'm excited to continue these conversations in season two. As always, if you have a story to share, please reach out to me. I would love to interview you. And if I can ever support you on your own imposter syndrome journey, I'd love to connect on that too. Thanks again for being here. I am really excited to have you here today, and we've already started our conversation, so I can't wait to jump in. But before we do, I would love to learn a little bit more about you. Okay, so um, my name's Anne-Marie Akopich. I'm uh, 41 years old, uh, living in a big city of Chicago at this point. So ironically enough, I moved here from Canada, uh, basically the day the city shut down. So I've been living in um, an apartment, uh, looking at what should be the uh, most exciting city and it's kind of dead right now um but yeah so i moved for work uh my company had requested that i move to chicago to be closer to the headquarters uh i've always for the last 20 years i've spent uh, most of my career in a male dominated environment um working in operations and this was my first chance uh to tackle the corporate world which was pretty exciting for me um, and that being said, uh, this morning I had kind of a little moment cause you know, we're in the middle of amidst of COVID and, uh, I had a cry out moment cause I'm missing my friends and family and, and I haven't really had an opportunity to do the type of work I was uh, brought out here for, which is, uh, traveling to the operations and, um, helping them through opportunities of continuous improvement. So that's my role right now is I'm a regional reliability engineer with a focus on special projects and uh, implementing changes and helping the facilities implement those changes at the facilities. Oh, and I imagine it must be hard too that you are leaving behind people, but you can't really build a new community right now in real life, right? I mean, maybe virtually, but it's not the same as being able to go really get connected to the city, feel like you're making new friends. And like you said, not even be able to do the kind of work that you were expecting to do when you moved there. Yeah. So I'm a big uh, person on change and adapting to change and uh, finding the silver lining within the change. But this has definitely been a struggle for me. Um, I being new to the city. And like you said, it basically shut down. And uh, most of my coworkers that I did have an opportunity to meet live in the suburbs or um, did isolate. So I've kind of been isolated in this building, which I'm used to a yard and used to family and um, used to my cat that I left behind. And I I just kind of ended up in this, um, I guess, cement I don't even know what it's made out of, but basically this tower and I I feel like I stare out at this river all day long and it's definitely been a challenge. Um, I've been fortunate to have a meditative practice and I I found some working out and I made friends with uh, the concierge in the building and would feed them and 
Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely, you can feel lost quite a few moments during your day where you kind of realize, you know, why am I here and what's my purpose and kind of, you know, how am I going to make my work adaptable um, to this environment? Because again, I, I, you know, I'm working out of my apartment now, which I've always been a people person. So that's also been a, a challenge, but um, yeah, so I, I accept that I am going to have down days. I accept that I am going to need to cry. I accept that I am going to need to talk to people. And that's kind of how I manage through it. And I meditate. And uh, I actually recently just uh, assumed the title of social ambassador at the um, apartment I'm at. Woo. So that was pretty exciting because I've learned to talk to people that I don't know every day <laughs> in the elevator or um, out and about. So. <laughs> I love that. I love, and, and I want to tie this to imposter syndrome too, because I love yeah. what you're talking about in terms of really, first of all, recognizing what you need and where you're not getting it. Right. And then just kind of owning those feelings and figuring out workarounds. Like I think imposter syndrome itself is something that I think can be best managed in that way, just in terms of what we were just talking about. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on imposter syndrome more generally, kind of how you would characterize it and how it's shown up for you. Yeah. So uh, the way I view imposter syndrome is, um, you know, I've always, it's being a high performer, someone capable of doing something, but at the end of the day, you don't feel like you are good enough to do that, or um, you're able to do it for one reason or another, or um, the world doesn't view you good enough to do it. So I have, um, like I said, I spent the last 20 years in a male-dominated environment. I was uh, out of college. I finished my one degree, and I decided to tackle a second degree because uh, I don't really know how to stop, I guess, at times. But um, So I decided to go into electrical engineering, and through that, I got a co-op. And right away they asked me to supervise and then it went to me working um, full time, seven days a week, 12 hours a day, sometimes 20 hours in a 24 hour period and uh, pursuing my education at the same time. So wow. it, uh, I've always kind of taken on a lot, but with that, I always, I, I think it comes back to me being such a perfectionist or um being a middle child, maybe, I don't, I don't know where, what it goes back to, but I never felt good enough. So, you know, I'd get these high performance ratings and I'd get um, people coming to me and like telling me you're the best boss. And I, I'd have departments running around me efficiently because I had driven those changes, but I never felt like I advocated for myself or never felt good enough to uh, take on different positions. So for example, I did that same role for seven years and I remember at one time my boss coming to me and saying, you know, we can't, if we hire you full time, someone else loses their job. Mm-hmm. So I didn't pursue it. I just kind of went with the, um, with the flow and just kind of, you know, kept driving change. And I remember him even coming to me during performance review time and saying, well, who did this and who did this and who did. And I was like, well, I drove that change. I drove that change. I drove that change to the point where they got rid of five supervisors and left me managing the department by myself. and while I went to school full time, you know, and I, I just never felt that I deserved 
those roles or deserve to be in a different position, even though these other managers above me came to me for guidance. And I even had all my boss's passwords as kind of um, wrong as that may seem. So, you know, I, I think to me, it means imposter syndrome, I think is, um, is a challenge as, as you put it, we can kind of work ourselves through it, but we have to find ways to adapt through it because it's a, and to me, it goes back to self-worth. And I think I, I always knew I was destined to do more with my life. But even now, when I look at my position, I'm like embarrassed to say what position I am because I'm like, I'm so much more capable, which I understand it's just a position and a title and I'm still going to drive the value and change uh, to the best of my ability for the organization. I just, you know, I look at myself comparatively in this world and I'm like, have I really done enough for myself and um, for the companies I work for? And, you know, ultimately I made some personal choices that impacted my career, but then I, I think at the same time, I also, didn't value myself enough. And um, I only put myself out there when life gave me a challenge that I had to put myself out there. So I wanted, say, as pathetic as this may sound, um, a guy I was dating and um, I wanted to make a better life for us. So then I went for the next position, but I never really uh, did it for myself or did it because I thought I deserved more. And uh, I think that's to me how I tie into imposter syndrome. And I I feel like at this point in my life, I've recognized that and I'm able to adapt through it. But for a very long time, you know, I had bosses come to me and use words like, we'll do it for the people. And, you know, you got to stay in this position and we really need you here. And I never really looked at what I needed and, and how I could become more valuable to society and to the company. So I guess, I don't know if you have any questions on that or. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You, you're, you're making me think about a lot of things, but what I'm sort of zeroing in on is going back to what you said before too, about someone else would have to lose their job and do it for the people. And, you know, it almost seems like there was a lot of messaging around that was triggering a value in you. Oh shoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They knew, they knew how to get to my heartstrings. They know I care about people. Yeah. When, when what's interesting about that is that's not typical business language. That's not typically how you would expect two men to talk to each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, no. And and so it feels to me somewhat exploitative and maybe that's too strong a word, but I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah. So it, it's sad because I remember, and 20 years ago, I'm very proud of myself for the way I manage my people because I remember I was told at some points, you're too nice to your people and your people, um, people are, think that you're not doing your job effectively because your people are happy. So if I look at my career as a supervisor, I had the most effective department. Like my department ran um, without absenteeism. I got rid of absenteeism. People got time off when they wanted. And I think, you know, like I said, they got rid of 
supervision because they didn't need it. It self ran itself because people were happy at work. They enjoyed coming to work. They didn't, you know, we had less problems. Our, our quality was better. And I think I had to, I had to, you know, bear through. And I, I believe that that was my purpose at that time, right. Is, you know, changing the way that that industry ran. But I think at the same time, yes, they ex- I felt exploited. Like if I go back to my history and even my last job, it was, I took a role that I didn't even want to do. And, and at, at that point I didn't even feel good enough to do. And, you know, I was, it was a maintenance manager role. And I was like, what do I know about maintenance? I had an engineering degree. I'm embarrassed. I never put it into play. You know, how am I going to do this? And within six months, I'm on a special assignment and I'm the expert in the company. And to this day, I still have people using me as a resource for that. Right. And I, I think, um, I think managers had learned that I was vulnerable to the people. I was vulnerable um, to keep delivering their value and making them look good. And, and to this, I will always like, it's my biggest principle is that my job is to make my boss's job easy, easier, right? Cause it's the hierarchy is we should all be supporting the same values and, and striving towards the same objectives and targets. And all of everybody's job is to kind of support that next level up, right. And that strategy. And, and if it doesn't, then we need to all figure out how we, you know, pivot together. And I felt hurt, I guess, at some points. Um, but then I also think I didn't realize how much power I had in the decision to advocate for myself. And I, I think I just finally started advocating for myself. And um, I've had a lot of blessings in my life <laughs> through injuries and um, and trauma. And I had my house broken into. And, you know, I... I think when it comes back to it, all those things happen to me for a reason because I've had to persevere through them and thrive through them. And I feel like I can be a voice to people so that, you know, I'm the person that keeps going. And and just recently, like I've lost probably 40 or 50 pounds uh, after finally figuring out how to heal my body uh, from two significant injuries. I had a, a bad hip and then I had a disc dissection infusion which I was almost going to get fired at one point during my tenure because I kept going to work every day, but I was in excruciating pain. And, and the boss, in my opinion, forgot that for the previous two years, I worked sweat, blood, sweat, and tears. Um, some days, 20 hours while they, it was just me in, in a department that should have been two without questioning, without asking for help, you know, changing the way we operate, becoming more efficient. And then when I got injured, it, it's like everything was forgotten. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, uh, I had to push through that and, and come back to work and recognize that, you know, I was on the chopping block again because they forgot that how, what I had done the previous two years for the company. Mm. And so it's been a rough go. I feel like as a female, <laughs> yeah. um, in in the industry, because you know I care about people, because I am self-reflective. So I do. When someone gives me feedback, I will reflect and try and become my best version, which I don't feel that always exists in industry. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been tough, but I feel like I'm here to help people uh, understand that 
you do have a voice and there's a way to um, manage it effectively so people hear you without um, people getting annoyed and dismiss you and then, you know, um, shelve you somewhere. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's so interesting because you mentioned uh, not realizing how much power you had, right? And so oh, gosh, yeah. it sounds like, objectively speaking, you were very effective in your roles, but the messages you were getting, some subtle, some not so subtle, right, were that you weren't doing it right, right? Like you weren't doing it in the way that they wanted you to or expected you to, right? And so... I'm curious what role you think gender played in that, because you mentioned being female, and just the environment more generally, you know, because I do think so much of our experience comes down to the cultural environments that we operate within. So, so how have you thought about those pieces of it? Yeah, so um, I think I... I feel like there's been a shift, a cultural shift recently, but for the longest time in industry, and I know it's still not hundred percent gone because I can see, you know, certain roles are very, um, are, are very male dominated or and even in the industry I'm in now. And I, I know they're shifting it and I know it's not going to happen in a day, but yeah. Um, back in the day, there was a lot of, um, I'm the boss. You do what I say. So it's not, I don't know necessarily if it was gender specific, but I didn't really have the opportunity to deal with very many female bosses because there weren't very many at that time. So I guess I can't, I can't speak one way or another because I didn't have a female boss, but I, I know it was the, I'm the boss, you do what I say. And to me, people don't become their best at that point. You kind of get what you get and but I am a solution driver, so I would always find ways around it. Um, and I think for me personally, I think the way the I feel like I intimidated, and again, that could just be my feelings. I feel like I intimidated men because I, I came with a brain. I came with, um, you know, I was an attractive female. I took care of myself, and I felt that was intimidating for me to be smart. I and I remember they put me on a temporary assignment and I, I got to the facility and we were sitting around a die and you have experts and I was new to the program. I really didn't know how they die casted, but again, I'm a very um, technically uh, uh, or I have a technical brain. I have, you know, I was always smart growing up. So I looked at the problem and I was like, here's where I think the problem exists. And everyone kind of ignored it. And, you know, I was one female out of 15 men sitting around there and they had experts from around the world. And so I advocated for it. And two days later, um, they ended up replacing the part that I suggested they replace. And it was funny because only one person in the room when they made the statement looked at me and acknowledged and smiled. And everyone else kind of just ignored the fact that that's kind of what, what I alluded to the previous day. And in the same breath that same experience I literally had two uh, the VP of operations and the director sitting there staring at me and saying we need to get these parts to the customer and I said well we only have this many to ship and um and that's what we shipped because at the end of the day I could validate that that was what needed to be done and 
one of the gentlemen had come up to me that I was working with closely on the project and he, um, he did not really get along with many people. He came to me and he's like, no one will ever tell you what you did there was right. He goes, I wouldn't have done what you did. No one will ever tell you how powerful that was what you did. And you just saved the company and the program. And, you know, and those were all my experiences. Right. And and, and I was fortunate that he said that to me because it helped validate at the end of the day, like I need to stay on course, what, regardless of, you know, what the culture is just like when I was in my twenties, when people had said to me, you're too nice to your people and it affected my career. Right. Um, and even when I was in my thirties, right. Like I, I feel like I believe I'm supposed to stay on this course because at the end of the day, I'm inflicting change. But if I don't stay on this course, we're going to continue to operate the way we were, which isn't the most efficient way. How unfortunate too, that, the real sources of change for you are things that they weren't willing to publicly acknowledge or that somehow were seen as not reflective of the culture, right? Instead of, instead of looking at it as, well, maybe this is a more effective way to do it. It's, yeah, no one's ever going to tell you <laughs> that that was the right approach. So it becomes a one-off that doesn't actually, nobody actually learns from. And that's where the imposter syndrome, I think, fits in, is that I always got criticized for all the good I did, (laughs) in my opinion, as opposed to being celebrated that, wow, you know, the bosses took credit at the end of the day for the changes, Mm -hmm. which I'm okay with, because at the end of the day, they hired me and I'm a subordinate and I get it. But that's where I learned recently and, and that I will advocate for myself, right? And I will... Um, I am being valued now for my skill sets, which it took me 20 years of industry um, and a lot of ceilings on my head, right? Like I, I was beat down and, you know, I always got good performance reviews. So that that's where they always um, rewarded me was there because they knew that's the one place that would trigger me is if they didn't... Um, probably yeah give me the grade I deserved right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but but I did have somebody put me on a performance improvement plan which was the funniest um experience I ever had and only because I say because I I sat there and they told me where I needed to improve and in a in a meeting about you know we're we're going to build teams and we're going to do this and and I was always one I love improving I love getting feedback I love to listen to the feedback and I'm going to become the best version I can every day. And within a week I was put on a performance improvement plan after that conversation. And then uh, within a couple of weeks, he, cause now the boss has to pay attention to who does what. And I, I was only at this company for a, a short time. I think it was a year and a half from start to finish. But um, I remember having a conversation with him three weeks into the PIP. And he said to me, I didn't realize what you do. I didn't realize like you're the backbone of this department. Wow. He said, you know, um, I can't really take you off the PIP, but you're going to look like a superstar coming out of this PIP. And I was like, (laughs) so basically the good news is the PIP made me realize I don't want to work for this company anymore. So the minute they put me on it, I realized, okay, because again, that was my balance point, right? So you could keep me on us under a ceiling, but if you started questioning 
my performance that I recognized, whoa, this probably isn't the place for me. Because since I was a kid, like I skipped a grade, I was always a captain of my team. I'm a high performer, right? But if you started challenging, um, if you put me at the bottom of the barrel, then I thought, okay, maybe this isn't the right place for me because maybe I can't adapt to whatever they're throwing at me, mm. right? And because for it to get to that point, I was like, whoa, what's going on here? And, uh, and again, I didn't blame them. I just thought maybe I'm not the right person for this fit. And then, you know, I ended up finding a different job. And I was surprised that they paid me my full bonus when I left because it was after I'd left and they could do the percentages and they still uh, treated me fair. So at the end of the day, you know, it wasn't a sour goodbye, but it was a, okay, time to move on. <laughs> goodbye. So as you look back, because clearly you have done a lot of introspection, you have a lot of self-awareness about where you've been and what has worked and what has not worked for you. Like, what's different about today? So today, the version of me today is I've gone deep inside um, to the, I've done I started a um, yoga practice, a kundalini meditation yoga practice, and I prioritize myself. So for going back to my story, I worked full-time, went to school full-time. I did not sleep. I did not breathe. I was, I've never had kids, so um, I don't know if it's a regret um, necessarily, I was married. I ended up divorced. Uh, we got married three days after my last exam while I was working full time. So, you know, you can imagine how that decision making process, great guy, just, I didn't realize, um, I was so burned out at that point during our whole relationship. I didn't realize that it wasn't, you know, meant to be, but, um, I think I finally had design some time for myself. So the I started this meditation practice in, um, I think it was officially February, but I, I go back to t- doing these women's circles back in July of last year. And uh, I was on this special tra- project traveling for work. And I, I went to this one week meditation yoga practice and coming from a um, very logical, technical background and uh, and not very spiritual because again I was in a male dominated environment where feelings weren't okay and emotions were kind of looked at as weakness and vulnerability and uh, I pr- participated in this um, women's uh, retreat for the week and it just inspired me it was about the feminine self and again I'm not um, I'm very neutral on you know male and female and Um, and I believe like everybody in this world has a piece to play and we need to be our best version so that we can, you know, make this world the best version it can be. And, but I recognized that I was, uh, being somebody I wasn't meant to be and that, you know, it's okay to be feminine and it's okay to have this inner vixen and it's okay to be my best version and be successful and advocate for myself. And, and this one week, uh, meditation or yoga um, women's circle had given me my voice. It had inspired me to apply for a position that was, you know, I never would have. So I applied for a director of, of um, continuous improvement position. And I still believe to this day, I deserved it. 
but I also believe that I didn't get it for a reason because I, I believe everything happens for a reason. And I applied for it. But what that did do um, was give me a conversation with some the right people, you know, and it, I still believe, like I said, I deserve it. I also understand not everything happens the way you're going to want it to, but I also believe there's a reason for that. And that, that goes back to my practice now. And it was amazing because when I didn't get the job, I got to have a conversation with somebody and in that conversation, it was like, well, everybody wants you to come work for them and you have lots of options. And I said, I appreciate that. I just don't know if that's what I want to do anymore because I have my heart set on a role like this. And these are the types of things I want to do now. And um, now, you know, four months later, five months later, I'm in that role. So it's amazing, (laughs) you know, what can happen. And like, I'm tearing up right now when you advocate for yourself and you, and you do give yourself the time to reflect and figure out what you really want. You know, and I've recently done it with men too. I'm, I was on a date and I liked this guy and he, he said, I think we want different things. And then I recognized, I'm like, I don't even know what I want. Like mm-hmm. I have to figure that, that out first before I start looking for, you know, a suitor. But it's funny because that was, I think one of the biggest things for me is like this woman's circle transformed me. And then now my practice keeps me stable and aligned. And, you know, today when I had that sad moment and I, I went deep down inside, I recognized the world has better for me and there's um there's something better coming and i'm here for a reason mm. and you know it puts things into perspective so i don't dwell because if you dwell then you create this negative environment and you know people then feel that energy and then work suffers and because you don't have the energy to do your work so that's how it kind of all ties in i guess at the end of the day for me yeah, um, I'm really inspired by how you've gotten to where you are. And I so appreciate your sharing it with us. And I'd love to wrap up with, you know, what motivated you to want to tell your story today? And what do you hope people will take away from it? So what motivated me is, again, I had a lot of struggles, and uh, which I consider blessings at this point. And I wish obviously I'd, I'd never want anyone to have to suffer when they don't need to suffer. So, you know, if I can be a voice or a, a reminder to people, you have an inner voice, you have, you are powerful, you have, you know, beauty and um, knowledge and all these great things. And, and we need to take advantage of them to make ourselves the best we can be and, and just strive. And if you feel like you can do it, you can do it. You just have to figure out what that is. And then, you know, what that means to you and then how do you implement it and recognize that it's not always going to go the way you want, but at the end of the day, you'll get what you need. And and there's a plan waiting out there for you and you just got to keep going after it. And I'm, I'm here to kind of help people realize that the, the struggle can be real, but there's so much great out there and we can just go after it. And, and there's so much better for us if we do go after it. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. I know how hard it must be to tell this story. And I am so grateful that you did because there's so much for everybody to take away from. And I'm so glad to hear that you have found your voice and that you are that much farther 
along on your journey. So thank you again. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me and uh, giving me the opportunity to share my story. Thanks again for listening today. If you're struggling with imposter syndrome and you'd like additional support, check out the show notes for more resources or contact me directly. I would love to help you. And if you'd like to tell your story, I would love to interview you. You will find my contact info in the show notes. So reach out anytime. Thanks again.